Hi, welcome to Science on Trial and Error. It is my great pleasure to introduce Elena Retchenka as the first guest of the podcast. Lena is a physicist. She was born in Krasnoyarsk in Russia and she obtained her bachelor's and master's degrees in physics from Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology. Currently, she's pursuing a PhD focused on collective states of superconducting qubits in the group of Johannes Fink at IST Austria. Lena is a close friend of mine and she has always impressed me with her boldness to take on challenges, both in her personal life and in her career. She's a force to be reckoned with and she puts her heart into everything that she does. This includes training a variety of dance styles, but also being the passionate beer drinker, not obviously awful singer, and huge fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm incredibly happy that she's my first guest, and I'm grateful for her honesty in opening up in this interview. Please enjoy Elena Rechenka. Hi, Lena. Thank you for accepting the invitation Hi, to Kasha. the podcast. Uh, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm actually super excited and super happy to be here and talk to you. I'm also very happy to be here and to share with everyone how, how amazing and inspiring person you are. And not only mm. a scientist, but <laughs> also a lot of your personal... Um, passions and hobbies that uh, I hope we can get at least a bit to. So how about we start with with talking about you, what you do now. You are a PhD student in the group of Johannes Fink. Yes, that's true. At IST Austria and you are working on qubits, right? Yes, uh, I'm working on superconducting qubits uh, to be precise. For those who might not know, qubits is quantum bits. So the same as in the computer, you have um, bits which can take zero and one. Um, qubits is just a quantum version of bits, so they might be kind of zero and one simultaneously, as people like to say, but I actually like to imagine qubit uh, as just an arrow uh, pointing uh, from the center of the sphere mm-hmm. to the like surface of the sphere. And this, like... <laughs> North and South Pole are actually presenting zero and one, and then qubit is just like a, this arrow. Like it's it's it can target in any direction, so it can be like any superposition of zero and one. Also, any like two level system spin, like mm-hmm. normal spin. Um, if you take only two levels of the atom, it all can be the qubit. Um, but in theory, you usually don't care. You just write like we have those two levels and we work with them. Okay, so I will tell the title yes, <laughs> of okay, my yeah. probably future PhD, but definitely the title of my proposal, uh, and it's controllable uh, states of superconducting qubit ensembles. I'm currently working on um, a project uh, with those like five qubits coupled to the resonator, coplanar waveguide resonator. So it's basically you can imagine it as like just like a transmission line with two capacitors at the edge, which mm-hmm. like make it like a guitar string. Yes. And then like if you <laughs> if you like plug pull it, it yeah, yes. plug it. You 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 see this uh, like main installation, which is lambda half. Uh huh. And then you see lambda wave. So I'm actually working with the lambda um, um, of these resonators. Like I'm coupling my qubits in the center. And then I'm um, tuning them precisely in the comp, in the frequency comp. Yes. So if you look in the frequency domain, you see uh, in transmission, for example, you see six peaks. Okay. So it's five qubits plus the photon. So six dress states and you see them. And um, the goal is like put them equidistantly in the frequency with some detuning omega between them. Um, so then, uh, the interesting part of it is actually um, time dynamics. So I send a short pulse of light, like uh, such that in like in time domain it's super narrow, mm-hmm. but then in frequency domain it's broad and it can cover the whole frequency comp. I see. So you excite all of the qubits simultaneously, and when you excite all of the qubits, 
what spin do and like they always do even like a single spin it will start to rotate over the block sphere okay so it's basically um, if you present qubit as just like this arrow on the block sphere or like on, on sphere it will start to rotate over it with like some certain speed and since the qubits are at a bit different frequencies they start to rotate but with different speeds okay so they like, all five of them are rotating and then from time to time they're constructively reface and you see a bit of photon coming out yes but all other time they destructive like the phasic is restrictive so you see nothing so you basically get like those pulses coming out from time to time and the time is proportional to the tuning between qubits which is like nice with superconducting qubits you can control frequency in situ so you can set kind of your quantum timer <laughs> to any time you want like you, you get those pulses and they're non-classical they're nicely periodical so you can like you kind of you store the light you have this like uh, classic to quantum light mapping yes and with like super precise and certain time yeah so this is what i'm really trying to do this I guess because of the scale of this whole process, which is just minuscule, and I mean it may sound naive, but how how difficult it is actually to to fine tune it in a way to to see it, and also how difficult is it to have reproducible samples? Gosh, that's that's difficult. That's that's really difficult, and. Um, so just for the listeners, like how big of a scale are we talking here? Um, Okay, a short <laughs> intro to superconducting qubits. Um, superconducting qubits, basically, like I'm working with transmons, it consists of um, big shunt capacitor and um, nonlinear inductance, which is Josephson junction. If you have two Josephson junctions in parallel forming like the superconducting loop, it's called the squid, and by applying current to it, you induce magnetic flux in, inside the loop and you can change the frequency of the qubit. Okay. So what I'm doing, I have uh, five currents which control in five qubits, but why I'm saying that it's five by five metrics because when you apply current to one qubit, it, there will be some crosstalk and it will yeah. affect the frequency of all other qubits. So you have those parameters and you have to find them. It's like one thing and then you have to control it. But Theoretically, it doesn't seem so difficult, uh, <laughs> but there is always like a thing. Uh, if your uh, flux quant, like your, your, you need, if you need to apply too much current to tune it to the frequency you want, you just can't do it. Like you start heating up the system. Superconducting qubits working at like around 30 millikelvins or even below. And if you heat them up, then there is like a temperature effort kicks in and you're not controlling the frequency as yeah. you would control it at low temperatures. Then, if the crosstalk is too too big between the qubits, you most likely will need to apply a lot of current because of just you, know, you have to compensate for all other current sources. Um, then you have five qubits and they are like relatively close to each other because they have to couple similarly to the resonator. So you also might have a direct interaction between qubits, not through the resonator, but just like direct, <laughs> the qubit talking to the qubit. Um, and I had this problem. <laughs> I had uh, inductive coupling between qubits, which basically was the problem. Like I, I, of course, I had like a lot of iterations of those samples, but for one of them, it's just, it, it was the killing factor, like yeah. just direct interaction, because then you can't <clears throat> tune qubit in the same frequency point or even too close to each other they will just repel yes so let me let me go a bit off topic but this is something that i find very interesting and i mean we are all we need a way to focus when we do our experiments and also when we work on the computer and a lot of us use headphones and we are listening to music or some people are listening to podcasts um, but I actually didn't realize how different things people can listen to. So I was wondering whether you have any specific kind of music that puts you in a mood to, to work and um, yeah, maybe helps you focus on, maybe keeps you in like um, good spirits when you do your experiments. Uh, so it really depends on part of the work. Like whatever... Um 
when the work is kind of connected with like I need to really focus but it's like a brain activity like data analysis or doing some theory or just even when I'm doing measurements because this is I also have to stay focused to not just kill something in the fridge yeah. uh, I really prefer silence <laughs> but when I do whatever like whatever activity with hands I'm doing like soldering or bonds in my samples or whatever like sometimes in the clean room I also like uh, you can't listen to music in the clean room by the way yeah <laughs> but I, I sing if no one in the room <laughs> and I, I like sometimes I'm really like I like it's like I caught in the middle of uh, something criminal because I was like singing developing the sample and then someone never notices and I'm like Suddenly quiet. Suddenly quiet. Like, yeah, nothing happened. Like, yeah, I was just like casually standing, developing my samples. Yeah, you probably heard some sounds from outside, but that's that was not me. That's it's just like singing in a phone shower. ringing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of similar. Yes. So for this, like, um, how to say, like a manual uh, part mm-hmm. of the work, I um, so there are two types. I either like something like really energetic because this work sometimes is boring and I just need like energy boost. You need to pump yourself. Yes, yeah. so I really like 2000s hits, uh, whatever, like Britney <laughs> and stuff. Really pumps me. I just I just need to be like I still have this energy to just repeatedly doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But also for my samples, since I'm calling them as like pop bands, and every cubit is a member of the pop band and so on. I'm just uh, often listening to the music from the pop band I'm currently making. Okay, so you said your setup has five cubits, so you're like looking for five members' bands? Yeah, I, I ran out of them, so now I'm doing seven cubits <laughs> <laughs> just to go to K pop. <laughs> so let's talk about your childhood. Can you actually tell when your passion for science started? Was there any moment in particular that, um, well, started <laughs> your curiosity? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, my passion didn't start it at this moment, but it's kind of descriptive of like the surrounding in which I was like growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like in. When I was like at primary school, uh, Charmed was on TV and it was like so popular. And oh, yes. All of us had the, like the, this the TV show about the, the witches. Yes, and like this yeah, yeah. witches TV show. And like all of us had like those books with yes. spells. Yes. And my books was actually Encyclopedia of Spectroscopy. No. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it's very close to actually it magic, was huge. right? It was uh It was like dark brown, <laughs> super beautiful, the quality of pages and beautiful spectroscopy. I love this book I was always playing with this then kindergarten my mom picking me up we are going home like <laughs> we were just walking I remember we crossed the road and we were kind of close to home and I see this like petrol in the in the puddle and I'm like mom it's rainbow and my mom is like no it's in- interference in the tin layers and I just remembered it. I remembered all those years. Like, <laughs> interference is something. I don't know what is this, but it's definitely not a rainbow. I can't say that I was like so passionate about science, um, as a child at least. Of course I was like interested about things around me and like how the things work and like some basic questions, like why the sky is blue and stuff. But I can't say that I was like I wasn't I wasn't really like the the reader like the bookworm or like uh, being like in a chess club which is quite typical to Russian <laughs> but like yeah it was all not me I was I was like in music school and dance school and like all of the stuff doing gymnastics so yeah but my mom was physicist <laughs> so your mom was finished physics at Moscow University? No, she, she actually, she was in my uh, hometown in Krasnoyarsk. Uh, she graduated from the institute there. And then, um, since it was still Soviet Union, 
like they basically uh, point you to the job you take okay. uh, it was like the deal and I guess she went to some like industry company like she was appointed to this industry company and it was like a really unusual case with her because the boss didn't like her and she didn't like the boss um, so she just like okay I'm not gonna work there okay and you couldn't just like say it in yes. some opinion like, yes. you, you couldn't like oh I'm not gonna work there so she went back to the institute and her uh, supervisor offered her to stay in like in academia um, and work in the institute. <laughs> but my mom was like super proud. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm not gonna work there. And I'm like, I'm so like fed up with all like the system and stuff. And he's like, but where are you gonna go? Like, he's like, I will go to school <laughs> and I'll build a teacher there. <laughs> yeah. And at this time, she was still not planning to actually become a teacher. Like, she went to school, worked for some time. Uh, like basically the time that she had to work and then she left she was working in the um, like a TV uh, production manufacturing in the okay. chemistry department so uh, very different parts. yeah yeah like still with her like specialization uh, she was like um, in uh, spectroscopy and in this chemistry department like it, it was also kind of connected to her research um, and she was traveling like work-wise but then yeah Soviet Union ended uh, me and my sister popped up <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she went back to school and became a teacher and she's the teacher now and she was my physics teacher <laughs> my sister physics teacher for one year only but yeah still do you think she was treating you more severe than the other students I mean I can't say I think for me I decided like I decided for real that I will go and I will go to the institute uh, like I actually went afterwards um, I decided after ninth grade which is like the end of the middle school okay uh, I went to this like summer summer school for kids in our hometown and there have been so many graduates from this institute all of them were like so smart and amazing and like had an, like I don't know just like <laughs> really awesome science career or just like work yeah. so I really liked it and um, I came back and I was like saying to my mom like I'm gonna go there like I'm gonna apply there and then my mom was like try <laughs> so <laughs> she actually applied when she was okay so it, it was hard to get accepted there did you have to pass like some special entry exams or did just the high school grades matter to get accepted? So we have those exams at the end of the school. Um, plus there is usually some scientific competitions you can take part of. Um, your grades in school actually doesn't matter okay. that much. Okay. Um, there is also interview. Okay. Uh, but for me, this part was kind of smooth. <laughs> I think actually what was uh, surprising, like I was surprisingly lucky in this sense because I've just chosen um, the institute. Like you have to come to the interview and say to which institute you want to go and where you're going to do your research, Already? which is crazy. Yeah, like Before it's like a first start? year. Yes. Okay. Like you have no idea. You, you choose the department, of course, based on like institute they are working with. Yeah, I had like choice between there was an uh, institute of like uh, like more like an astronomy uh, part, mm -hmm. like the, it's called the like, cosmic study or something like this, and the second institute was institute of spectroscopy. <laughs> okay, like your mom. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I see. And starting from the like, tenth grade, I, I was telling all the time that I will be a spectroscopist. So I just uh, I was sitting there and I was like. Uh, they asked me to which institute I want to go and I'm like Institute of Spectroscopy and apparently it was like one of the least popular <laughs> institutes so they didn't really had a lot of people who wanted to go there so I was like I was accepted kind of easily so this was Moscow University Moscow right? uh, Institute of Physics and Technology okay how big was your batch of students in, in the beginning, so... Like <laughs> in the beginning. Um, so on my department, I think we were like around like 85, just a bit less than 100. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we were like kind of hitting the record. I think it was 10% of girls. <laughs> okay, just 10% of girls. Uh, for my department, yes. It was the first year in the university when at least on one department, it was like biophysics department, they hit like 50%. 50, 50%. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Okay. It's like the first year. Never okay. before. <laughs> I see. 
and it's really depends on the department you're choosing like there is uh, this um, general um, general physics department mm-hmm. like it's basically the most prestigious department in the university and for them the like the, the, the percentage of girls it was usually like five percent but do you think the problem is um, well let's call it like this bias in acceptance or do you think just girls are less inclined to try even because they feel like they are they don't have a such a high chance so do you think the problem lies still in the mentality that is kind of set in school and it's just like it starts there or do yeah. you think it's it's a bit more biased from the side of the university that they are more prone to I, I to think it's kind of both like okay. honestly um, being in school and also being in the summer school I never felt like being girl and doing science is something unusual or weird like mm-hmm. being girl and studying physics and math it was normal like you go to this like regional school competition like science competition and there are girls <laughs> like my mom was a scientist like yeah she was a teacher but before this like <laughs> she was studying science um and yeah like i've never heard about it like i've never thought that there's something wrong about it or like even unusual Uh, and then in this university I kind of got this feeling that yeah like there are so few of us um, and everyone is like staring at you like you're something oh. like I don't know like from out of world like how did you get there <laughs> like yeah that's kind of upsetting I mean yeah. perhaps it comes from the fact that in your house there there was a very strong female characters to kind of follow and for you it seemed normal like yeah your grandmother she also finished her studies right no actually she um like it was not university it was like a college uh-huh. um but she was also i mean it's it's like more chemistry right Leaning yeah towards yeah chemistry but, but we are like <laughs> upgrading our education level like my uh great-grandma uh i think she didn't even finish school but it was like still the world war yes, period of course. uh then my grandma already went to college my mom graduated from the institute yeah, <laughs> now i'm getting exactly. phd it's just this like, is amazing yeah. okay so you said you started your studies there was not a lot of girls and uh you were going to do your practical work laboratory work in yes. the spectroscopy institute so what were you working on there like during this third year um And so, so this guy came and he told like, who here wants to be a theoretician? <laughs> Because we had this one guy who is like really cool and I convinced him to take one. And I was like immediately, me, me, I'm, I'm here. I want to be a theoretician. And then starting from the third year, I from time to time came to my supervisor when I had like question in theoretical physics. Like we start to learn quantum mechanics and I a couple of times had some questions. And every time I was coming, it was like super welcoming explaining me everything it was like super nice and then uh i did my bachelor with him um also amazing like every time every time i thought come on this is like so difficult yeah <laughs> he was explaining so clearly i'm like how could i not understand it before like it's it's so easy but it's this just is like, great yeah I mean... it, it goes from like complexity 10 to like just like complexity zero i think like when you have this level of understanding of things then you explain it so like cl- yeah. clearly um and he was just amazing like i'm i <laughs> now, now half an hour praising starts <laughs> <laughs> so what was his name uh vladimir sakovich yutson okay and he what was he working on actually what was your thesis about um so um he works on a diff- like a lot of things um most of it uh, also lately it's like um multi-qubit systems uh like a collective states of multi-qubit systems uh and he was um like in the beginning kind of like studying uh collective dark states uh this collective physics been there since uh, 60s when dicky proposed it and we were studying uh the decay of subradiant state in the presence of some imperfection of the system like to form a collective state you have to be an exactly same frequency for two qubits you have to be exactly like a half or like the full like just basically integer number of half uh, wavelengths mm-hmm. between qubits and um we were just studying 
what will happen if the frequency is not exactly the same? What will happen if the distance is not like as precise as you want? Um, and yeah, this is what my bachelor thesis was about, just uh, the decay of um, dark states. So this was our theory and... It was like pure theory. You were able to, to write your thesis, were you also able to publish your results? Yes, we published, we published these results. Um, were like, they actually verified in, in practice since then or is it not yet possible to do this kind of experiment? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, when I just came like to IST, um, and I had an interview with Johannes. Johannes was like uh, kind of interested in all of this. And we thought about like just realizing what I had uh, and measuring it. Um, th the problem is for the superconducting qubits, which I'm working with, the decay is so fast, you probably won't see it. Like it's you have to measure, measure exponential. Okay. Yes, you just like, it's too fast. Uh, and for other systems, there is the problem of like uh, coupling strengths. Like uh, the real atoms, you probably won't couple them as strong as you need to, to like to see observe this. Yes, to observe mm -hmm. it. Um, but it's not something that hasn't been shown. Like uh, people measure dark states, uh, not like ex exactly this way. They were not studying like how imperfection will affect it yes. but yeah there are there are effects like dark states been measured super radiant state been measured there is nothing um fishy about like you know no one i was just wondering how you know how novel this was and how difficult is exactly to 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 work in in practical in experimental work on on qubits because your whole bachelors and masters were actually theoretical yeah. right and now, well, in your PhD, you are actually, you made a big jump and now you're doing both? You're uh, more, ex would you consider yourself more of an experimentalist now? I would, I would say that I'm like, uh, <laughs> I own 100% of this experimental company. Like, no, I would, I would say that I'm experimentalist <laughs> now. It's, it's, it's actually, I like to think that like, yeah, I'm like, I, I do everything. I'm like theory, fab, experiment. But honestly, honestly, um, I have amazing theory collaborations. And even if I'm doing something on the theory side, it's like uh, super small, just like some easy calculations you have to do. And all like hard work, theory hard work is all my collaborations. Um, and this is nice. I mean, like, it's, for my projects, you, you really need to understand the theory. You need to understand, like, how exactly it's going on, like, what is going on, and, like, what will happen. Uh, but it's always nice that there is someone who afterwards will fit your data. <laughs> so, the theory helps you not only to plan your experiments, like, it helps you with planning, right, with designing everything, but then it also helps you with understanding your results and yeah. trying to see how, how well it fits with the initial Yeah, it's actually, like, there are several ways how to do experiments, at least in physics. Like, you can take a known problem, uh, just make an experimental realization and try to observe something and then from what you observed. And mm -hmm. you don't know what you will observe, you can try to understand. Maybe the observation will make it clear on, like, what is going on in this system. Um, but I'm maybe because of my theory background, I really like the approach when you like you do the theory, you understand the theory, you understand mm -hmm. what will happen, you understand uh, all like constraints and like all bounds of this like boundary conditions and stuff like what exactly should happen and what is allowed noise, what will be signal level approximately at least. Yeah, and then. I like also design. I like design the sample, like uh, draw it. Well, actually, I'm scripting it now, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I like to fab the sample because then basically I'm like going the full chain. I understood the theory. Like now I'm not really developing the theory, but yeah. Uh, but I at least have to understand it. Yeah. I'm designing the sample. I'm fabbing the sample. I'm <laughs> cooling down the sample and then I'm measuring it. Was it something that you really wanted to do? Like you, you figured out during your masters that 
well, theory is really cool, but I want to see how these things play out experimentally. <laughs> I was so sure I will continue with the theory. The only thing, like the only uh, kind of wish I had is that my theory would be a bit more applied. You actually wanted to continue with theory. Were you considering um, doing your PhD in Russia or were you actually focused on going um, abroad? What were your views on that? I understood that I want to do science uh, kind of for my life <laughs> even. And I had people around who told me that if you want to have a nice scientific career, you should go abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not only the, the the thing about like there is no science in Russia. There there is science in Russia. It's just I think in general better viewed when you had you know like you had your master from one place, PhD from another place, postdoc from like the third place. Yeah, the it, mobility. Yes, sounds... it shows you. It shows that you can work in different environments with different people, like different institutes, and yeah, like I, I, it, it benefits your career. It benefits your CV. <laughs> so, sure. Uh, in this sense, I was pretty lucky to just like I have to to hear from my like the, from other students who are like a bit older than me, uh, and also from my supervisor. Like my supervisor was extremely supportive on all my application process. He even like made a list of possible PIs for me. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. Like that's I was so looking, nice. I, was, I, I spent the last year of my master's study constantly like searching for the possible like institute universities, uh, matching topics. And I was like writing application letters, uh, sending my CVs and just waiting. And then all the Skype interviews and stuff. And like, it's been a lot. And it was really nice that, like, at, at least my supervisor, mm-hmm. yeah, he supported me. I also, in master study, I had a co-supervisor, like, uh, basically afterwards we published the paper, like, three of us. Um, and both of them supported me. They gave me nice recommendation letters. They were, like, uh, there for me. And that was great. Like, in, in this sense, I couldn't wish for, like, more. So you were, I guess, looking mostly at the groups when you were looking for the PhD program. Yeah. Um, but there is, of course, an issue of, of, of the language that comes up. I mean, I don't know how it was at un- your university, where any of the classes taught in English or where you just taught in <laughs> no, Russian. <none. laughs> So how are you feeling about applying to go somewhere and most likely study in English and how was it with the application process? Were you feeling in any way kind of uncertain of of your skills or was it all right? I mean, of course I was like not so certain, <laughs> uh, but... Um... I invested time in my English classes. Like mm-hmm. I, I always like I think starting from like whatever. Like even in my bachelor, I always get a tutor. Language can be the barrier, but it's just the one you have to overcome. Like there is no other way to to, to do it by just like just learn it. Yeah, I think I think yeah. it's a very good advice. It's just sometimes people get very blocked by this. Yeah, you you like come on, like it's not gonna be that bad. Uh, my 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 English tutor actually always said that I, I'm like I'm fluent. I speak really fast and sometimes super confident with so many mistakes. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> it's all about it's the confidence. Like, yeah, but like the confidence. <laughs> I think it's I think it's an important advice, and I think it's also important to remember that there. Well, most of our literature is anyway in English, so yeah. you have this knowledge. It's just a matter of pushing yourself maybe a bit to to feel better and more comfortable about Actually. your speech and just being a bit more. Another piece of confidence. advice. <laughs> yes, like literature, science papers. Of course, all of them were in English. When I was writing my bachelor and master, like I, I was reading this English papers, but since I was a theoretician, I was mostly focused on equations, so yeah, the, the language sure. wasn't playing that huge role for me. But the difference uh, between like Russian and uh, Russian education and the education abroad that in Russia, I don't think that we use names so often, like. Now I'm I'm like I, I can ask you like please write me down I don't know Jane's coming Hamiltonian and honestly <laughs> I would know how to write like how to write the Hamiltonian for the system 
I wouldn't know that it actually called Jane's coming. And this is like was a huge problem for me, at least on one interview. Mm-hmm. I was like asked about some models and like just to write it down. And I couldn't. Like it's not like I couldn't write down those Hamiltonians. Like if, if they would tell me like write the Hamiltonian of the cavity and the atom, I would write this Hamiltonian. Yeah. I just didn't know that like it called like this. So your your textbooks are, yeah, they, are a they, bit different when, when it comes to the names. They just don't use them. Like it's interesting. It's it's really different. Like they either use like if there is a Soviet Union scientist and the scientist from abroad, <laughs> you will always know the last name of the Soviet Union one. Uh, or they they don't use names at all. It's it's really specific. And I'm not saying that you you must, but it's just useful if you know who actually did yeah. the experiment, uh, who showed it. Um, and then, yeah, it's it's just might be better for your future applications and for your, for your future interviews. No, this is important to to know, and I think it's also important to consider when interviewing someone that comes from another country that they may not have learned it in the same way. Yeah, I think this is something that a lot of people are are kind of missing this information, and I think it's important to to have it out there. So, um, coming back to the PhD decision, you said you were very supported by your supervisor and co-supervisor. And what about your family? How is your family approaching the topic? I think they always supported me. Uh, Like, there was not even a question. They knew it so much in advance. But wait, you finished your your high school in Krasnoyarsk? Yes. And then you had to move to Moscow for your studies. So you had already a very big move for your... Well, for for your education, it actually was further than from Moscow to, to, to Austria, Vienna, right? Yeah, was it was it a big shock to move suddenly to a completely different part of Russia and to to a to a super huge city? I mean, Moscow is gigantic. I just came to Moscow and it was so huge and so stressful. And I I called my mom and I was like, if I'm not accepted in this institute, <laughs> I'm going home. I'm not. I'm not staying at this place. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't I mean. like it. It's huge. It's like it's stressful. People are walking super fast. And then um, six years after, I was like so used to Moscow and you know, like the speed. Yeah, the, the change of pace must yeah. have been the the biggest difference, right? So yeah, when I came to IST and I actually was staying on campus <laughs> in summer. And there was no one. I was shocked. I was shocked more than when I when I went to Moscow and everything was fast. So you oh yeah because you you went for an internship before yes, you started yes. your PhD. So you got accepted for the internship at IST in, in one of the groups yeah. and you were working on theory at the beginning. So I was working in Misha's group, uh, and he is working in theory. Uh, studying this angle on quasi-particle, it's rotating molecule in like in, in some fields. So I joined and I was working on this and um, I was, mm, I don't know, like it was all fine. You know, like it's, it's still nice group, nice people, um, interesting research. It's all seems so nice and it's actually what I wanted. But I was like, something is wrong. Yeah, I think overall, especially because PhD is such a long-term thing, it actually is a good idea to to try to see how things work. And sometimes it it just it doesn't have to be wrong on any side; it just doesn't click so yeah. well. Or in your case, I guess you tried experimental work and it became exciting as well. And and do you think this this also played a role a bit that you just wanted to? to try to go in this direction a bit. I put my rotations kind of just like, okay, I'll just need to do it. Yeah. Like it's just, uh, yeah, this is just what you have to do. And I put rotation in Misha's lab first because I thought like, I will just put it the last one and like smoothly continue with yeah. my PhD. And then I'm doing rotation in Georgas group, uh, Georgas Katsaras. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's working with uh, spin qubits. Yeah. And we had like so much discussion, like because he's so much about this experiment, like he loves experimental works. But the experiment for him was like so much better. Yes. Like we can say like, oh, there are spins and there are atoms, and then there is experimental part which actually show them. You can see them. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, 
so we had all those discussions and I, I think they kind of affected me and then I was doing um, rotation in Johannes lab and his work style I think this is what clicked with me like Johannes is like super enthusiastic about things he can give you like a list of like 10 things to do mm -hmm. came later the same day and ask about thing number 10 <laughs> <laughs> and you might be shocked at first but it's not like he really expects you to do all, all of it uh, just by any chance maybe you started from the other way around it's like it's it's really like that but it was like so nice I don't know like I I, I feel like so I really I, I kind of I enjoyed working there um, but I think that like the last selling point for me was that uh, the group was relatively new and I actually had an opportunity to choose my own project yeah okay and this, this is, is something you don't get so often like a step especially in established group they usually have like directions mm -hmm. so you have to choose the group yes and i like the group and i could also choose the project <laughs> okay but this is this is a lot of freedom yes. so this didn't scare you this actually excited you yes yes so how did you actually design your project then so johannes had several ideas which were like multi-cubit experiment mm -hmm. um but it was also like pretty broad. Um, and then I loved it because this is really in the direction of my um, bachelor and master study, but just now on the experimental side. Um, and then I found this like theory group in Vienna, Stefan's Rotter group. Um, and initially when I just started, um, I, I didn't really had any like normal plan. I knew that I want to work with qubits and there are going to be several of them. Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was kind of about it. Like that, there was no like clear plan. So, so how difficult was it to, to adapt in the state of your mind to, to, to be this, this experimentalist with all its... Well, there's a lot of joy, of course, but there's yeah. also a lot of frustration and there's also a lot of things that just don't work. Sometimes you don't even know why it doesn't work. So how, 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 difficult, how difficult is it? How difficult was it? How are you dealing with it now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not dealing with it. <laughs> dealing with it I'm just like <laughs> living with that it's definitely different it's um, it was difficult when you just come and you know like it's not easy to be a theoretician because of if course. something is not working it's like your brain is not working of course it's just it's just it's you. just different you know it's it's of course it's like a lot of factors still like you might just have a bad day like you will solve it another day but when you're a theoretician it's always on you like all blame is on you yes and it's like a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility and then experiment is different you might do like you you might do 120 percent like you might do even more 200 doesn't matter something small happens which not even depends on you like it not depends on anyone it's just like i don't know like whatever power outrange uh, like uh, water like cooling water stops something and like you screw and you've done nothing wrong and you've done your best and this is like super frustrating but at the same time you have to just realize that it's not your fault and this been like a difficult period when um like i had this runs of fabrication and at some point i had i had one run of fab when the machine broke just in the middle of the process <laughs> basically screwed up like the whole sample and i was on the last layer <laughs> like it's it's been so frustrating like and for me coming from the different background it's just really difficult to like you know like disentangle it from yourself like it's not it's not you it's not your fault <laughs> and it's no one's fault <laughs> I don't know uh, it's just it just happens it just happens yeah and you you have to you have to deal with it like just you will start over and yeah maybe next time it will work and nothing will happen what helps you deal outside of work do you have any ways <laughs> <laughs> well I mean 
a lot of a lot of us are, are doing that but um do you have any ways also other ways of, of kind of like physically getting rid of the stress do you i'm i'm really trying to learn it i honestly <laughs> uh, i'm like i'm not the best person in dealing with stress i'm awful at it i'm i'm always stressed I'm never letting go. <laughs> like I'm honestly like I'm like the last person to ask advice from how to deal with stress. Um, yeah. No, but you. I mean, you're trying, right? I'm. I'm we are I'm all just trying my struggling best. with it. So I, what I'm trying to do is just notice, notice on like earlier stages that something is wrong. Um, because I can notice that something is wrong when I have, like, I start having a terrible stomachache and I forgetting about stuff. I'm like crossing the roads on the red light and just like not noticing even that I'm doing it. Uh, and this is like when the stress level is already so high. Um, so I'm trying to notice like the signals from my body that, you know, like I'm under some stress and some pressure and I should like, I should let go some of the stuff, like at least at least part of it but it's really difficult of it's course. like so difficult and like i mean you're definitely very passionate about your work because otherwise you wouldn't commit to doing phd which is always a struggle <laughs> and you always um and you're also very ambitious right you you want to do good and you it's put a lot of, of pressure yeah. on yourself just just because of the way you are um, but I think, I mean, over the course of the PhD, there are the ups and downs. You had your... <laughs> I've been like just on a slope <laughs> down. So, there, yeah. there, is, there is the end of this road that is not too bad, right? I mean, yeah. we, we just need to always keep in mind that we have to push through it. Or we have to take a break as well. It's nothing bad to, to take a break during the PhD. So let's let's do two two funny questions that I like to ask. Okay. So one of them is if you could do any experiment in the world, like something that you read about, something that you thought about but it's not have ever been done, something that is super expensive or super difficult to do, what would you like to do? It's actually I actually proposed it in my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> so to your supervisor? Uh, no, it's in my like, oh, official in your proposal. proposal. Yeah, this is like, the whoa. thing that you really want to do. I really want to do. It's like it's so so cool. Um, so there is one effect which called um, dicky phase transition. Yes. What what uh, does so, it mean? Yeah. It also in this like area of uh, collective states. So basically. Um, when you have a qubit coupled to the resonator and the qubit is in resonance with the resonator, energy level splits. So you have like those two dress states. Mm -hmm. One when the qubit is excited and the resonator is like not excited and the second when the resonator is, uh, it has a photon and the qubit is in the ground state. Yeah. Then um, this splitting between those two energy states increasing as you increase in the number of qubits uh, and like increasing the square root of n at least up to some extent. Okay. So I you see. either have a collective state with one excitation and no photon, or photon and all qubits in the ground. Um, and the, 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 this collective systems, um, based on the strengths of the coupling, they describe differently. So the formalism, like getting more and more complicated. The theory is like super complicated and it's been a question for a long time if it's like true or not. But basically the idea is like those two energy states, like there is some energy, you know, like both of them are it's at some energy level. Yeah, they just split around yes. some, some like resonator energy. So you can increase splitting so strongly that basically one of the one of the dress states will be uh, lower than the vacuum state. Like your lowest energy state 
will be not a vacuum state like a normal normal lowest energy state is just a vacuum like there is yes. nothing there is no excitation like energy like energy of the state with excitation in it will be lower than the energy of nothing so has this is just theory for you like, will have, no one has shown this in, ever <laughs> no one has shown it ever the theory is super confusing I think there is a way and I really wanted to do it during my PhD but PhD is limited of course and it's like so challenging you need to, to, to reach like this ultra strong coupling for every single qubit and then scale up the number of qubits and then somehow also measure this phase transition yeah this this for me seems the most tricky but this may be naive yeah. how to how to actually measure this in a way to to show it but so you have to use ancillary qubit which will basically be like a detector oh, to okay your to read system. out for yes this. yes that's actually super cool and it's kind of cool that you think of something so close to what you're doing that for you the coolest science is actually the I science that you what are I'm doing, doing. <laughs> I'm like i really like i from time to time think how like how random was all of the choices I've made mm -hmm. but at the same time like everything was so right like I went to the spectroscopy institute partially like, because my mom was doing spectroscopy I've I, I said that I want to do theory I don't know why like I honestly don't know why so many pieces had to fall into also, place also I see like if I would come to any other place I would still be theoretician probably and like doing some other stuff so many interesting like directions but just different ones i could have not been an experimentalist and i actually love experiment i'm now thinking like all my shelf there was like playing with like little motors you know fixing the toys like mechanical yes. toys and stuff and <laughs> never thought that oh yeah maybe actually experiment is a right direction for me you say you love them you love multi-qubit systems so are you seeing your career in science focusing still on this topic are you want to go do you want to go in this direction like i have several ideas for the postdoc and i was thinking like i, I like the group which are working with several qubits but they are a bit more in area of like quantum computing and i think this is also a um, useful thing if i will get this perspective of like quantum computing um it might give me a new view on what I already know. Would be nice to to get to one of those groups. So you you are convinced you want to go for for a postdoc? During the PhD, I've like several times thought about it. I like not actually. I, I would say that last couple of years were like the most difficult ones. But at the same time, I've never been so sure I want to proceed with my scientific career and like yeah. going for the postdoc we talked about the cool science and we talked about all the things that we are passionate about but of course there's always room for improvement and um, I'm always very interested in, in hearing from from other scientists what do they think is actually something that that could be improved in science or even in academia, like yeah. a bit more, uh, or, or in your discipline or in your field, like what is something that that could be improved to make science better or to make life of, of scientists better? So I thought about it and I'm like, I strongly <laughs> think like I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that science really lacking from a bit more diversity um, and it comes in like so many things like it actually influenced the science in so many things uh, work style mm -hmm. like more people coming from more different backgrounds will bring a bit more like you know like balance yeah in this crazy work style so number of women in science in academia in general like it's a bit frustrating um, well, I think, especially in your field, it's still kind of on the low side. In my field, uh, in my country <laughs> of origin, it's it's all sad, and um, I mean, and then it's just like you know, it's like one level of discrimination. Like you, you don't have a lot of women. If you will think of people of color, it's like 
and women of color. It's like it gets more and more, and it's just like it, it's sad. Like, come on, <laughs> we're scientists, and I think, like, as no one else, we should set an example. Yes, I I agree, but uh, how do you think though this can be improved? So first of all, I think one of the things that that is a good thing is this mobility that we were discussing that it is it is seen better if you move around and then with moving around you actually get to know more people and yeah. you learn from them but how else do you think we could we could so, work on it you know like this mobility thing yeah you should move around but at the same time um currently in science it's like you should move around but move around some certain places Yes. Like you will benefit if you like did your PhD in Europe or in US and like postdoc in US. Unlikely you will benefit if you like studied in Russia and then went to India. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's it's like it's a certain places and certain university your your career will benefit from. I for a long time thought that like quotes for uh, like a female scientist in the technical fields like you know like these things now like if you have two completely same grant applicants, um, like two groups applying for the grant and they're the same level. The group which get the grant is the one in which there are more female mm -hmm. researchers. And I thought, this is, no, this is awful. Like, we are researchers, we are scientists, come on. I want to be considered as just like a researcher, not yes. a female yes. researcher. Yes. Um, so I was like always against it, but now I'm thinking like, honestly, why not? Like, for such a long time, we couldn't get a normal education, and we were like, uh, the, 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 the whole system was biased against us, and you know, like I, I was studying in the 21st century, and I was listening so many, so many sexist comments about like how I shouldn't do science, how I should be like, you know, currently instead of like doing this physics course, I should be in the kitchen, or yeah, like looking like for the husband, or like how I should dress and then I will pass the exam and all this stuff and I, I, I'm shocked because come on like and this is 21st century it's not like it's not like I'm like a female pioneer just starting or like showing something no it should be normal by that time so yeah put the quotes like put the quotes for females put the quotes for people of color put the quotes for people from different countries just like put it just like, to at least bring it closer to being actually equal yeah. and then then we can drop this i think this is the thing like of course this 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 does feel like women or people of color are getting special treatment but on the other hand this is the the fastest way yeah. to, to move things in academia towards the, the true equality right i mean Otherwise, things would change probably, but very, very slowly. And this way, we can we can do a bit more active support of this, and and maybe bring it closer to being to being equal. And then, as I said, I mean, I I, I do see the point of 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 course wanting to be judged just on your marriage, you know, yeah. like. And let's let's be honest that. I mean, in biology, I think the number of female scientists is, is much, much higher than, than in yeah, physics. Not, but um, <laughs> not for us. <laughs> there's still so many female scientists that, even though they finish their PhD, they don't pursue postdoc, or after the postdoc, they don't pursue further career. Yeah. And, of course, there's many reasons. Also, I've heard uh, this... Uh, it was a piece of lecture from um, one... Um, economist it's um, actually he's Russian Sergei Guriev, he's in France and he was telling that if he has two CVs like same, you know like approximately same background, same people and this is like a male and female, he will take female because to get exactly same level, she had it, to push further. she had to put, push, yeah. like yeah put much more efforts, it's just it takes more, so yeah, like people complains about all those quotes and stuff, but they don't understand that they, those people have to put more effort. Yeah, 
And I honestly think that with all support from my family, support from my supervisors and my co-supervisor and like all the stuff, I was extremely lucky and I actually, my path was like not the most difficult one. But honestly, it was not that nice. It was uh, not easy, yeah. It was yeah. definitely not easy. I think the only way we can we can fight this is is by, first of all, speaking about this. And there's now a lot of initiatives, also at IST, there's the one about um, at least making people aware of that gender bias. Yeah. There's there's so much like unconscious gender bias that still functions inside of us. There's still so many things that are just kind of encoded in us to, to kind of connotate certain things to female yeah. and to male. And I think it's important to to increase also the awareness. I think this is already a good first step mm-hmm. to to changing people's minds. And of course, yeah, fighting this this very old-fashioned way of seeing how how where where the female role is and where they fit. It's just it's important. So okay, we discussed the experiment, and another question that I like to ask is with whom out of the people that inspired you or the scientists that you look up to or, or just people that you find interesting that are alive or, or dead would you like to just chat about life or work or science? You know, I think it's pretty um, <laughs> trivial answer uh, but I think I would like to chat with Feynman Feynman, oh, of Feynman. course, yes I, I love that he was Besides being like purely genius, of course, and like amazing scientist, everything like great about this, his mind and stuff, he was also like so well-rounded. Like you're not trying art, languages, music, and this is so cool. Yes, I really loved that about him. He also tried biology. You know, he yeah. just went for an internship to a biology lab, and he learned the. Uh, the drums being in yes, Brazil. Yes, it's just I, I, I just love like this uh, first of all sense of humor. Oh yes. <laughs> and uh, then like trying so many different things, like really like so different out of like science world uh, world. And this is cool. Uh, I'm kind of I'm trying to to do something similar. Maybe it's just a common thing. I honestly almost all of the people in science I met. We just like love studying. Are you learning the new language, dancing? Um, I don't know new music instrument. Doesn't matter. It's just like always brings a lot of joy. Yes, I think you cannot really do science for for that long. Yeah. If you don't have this this sick this thrill of learning somewhere inside you. So what have you been learning outside of the <laughs> science? Um, so lockdown brought me uh, back to my music uh, pass, kinda. I haven't played any like music instrument in a while, and then I had the ukulele. Uh, but only during this lockdown, I finally learned how to play ukulele, and it was like lots of fun learning new songs. And then I always loved dancing. Um, so you were in a cheerleading group, or you were you were a cheerleader? You were like doing what um, aerobics? You said or dancing? Oh aerobics? yeah. Okay. So uh, so when I was in university, uh, I went like I was in um, university step aerobics team, mm-hmm. and we even been in this Moscow student competitions and just in Russian competitions and step aerobics. Uh, maybe not so successful, but you know, in the university <laughs> where the amount of girls is like 10%, so yeah, give us some credit. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've also been in cheerleading team of my department. So here in Austria, were you in, were you able to to come back to your dancing? Uh, I I tried some new ones. Like Austria surprised me. <laughs> I thought you know, like in any capital. You will find a nice dance school or whatever. Just in general, in Austria, everything closes uh, super early. So usually, like the last class is around five, maybe six. And with our working schedule, of it's like impossible. It's difficult. Um, 
And the only classes which are like available at later times, it's either like you know like some um, like Latin dance, yeah, like salsa, uh, salsa mm-hmm. and stuff, or another option, pole dance. <laughs> Lada from Georgas group, so she was going for the pole dance, and I always wanted to try it, but I just. Uh, it's just one thing, like, you're wondering about it, but you just never <laughs> do it. And here I, I really wanted something, like, a physical, but, like, like in, in a dance direction a bit. So I just went there and I really liked it. It's something, like, you have to be strong. You also, like, you know, like, you look so graceful and, like, you know, like, like uh, flexible and It nice has the gymnastic like, aspect to yes. it, definitely. Yes, but, like, it's it's still, like, you still can dance. <laughs> yes. And I, I feel like pole dancing is such a feminine thing. Like, you have to be so strong. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's so beautiful. You're going into many different directions. And I think in the current living situation that we are in, in with the COVID pandemics and things are still not <laughs> so back to normal, uh, it's good to have that many things. Because, I mean, you recently were able to go home, but overall yeah. we cannot travel that much. And uh, we are just suddenly so stuck in our four walls that it's good to have something that keeps your mind occupied. It's also nice to just sometimes talk to a scientist not about science, which is exactly why I also wanted to do this podcast. Like, not only talk about your work, but also just about you, what makes you you. And I think this this is cool to to have this kind of conversations. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for being my first guest. (laughs) Thank you. I was so honored. (laughs) I just like, yeah, I just wanted to say science like is a big part of my life and your life. And probably for my life, it's like one of the biggest. But that's not it. It's just not. It's just not all all of it. it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Lena. Thank you.